Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Ryan and I'm one of the pastors here and uh, just want to say welcome to you if you're joining us online special welcome to you as well Um, I I had the chance a few months ago I've shared this before but I had the chance to go to Israel a few months ago and it's just one of those those trips that just continues to stir um, in my heart and my soul Um, God is using it to just feed me and challenge me and one of the things that struck me when I first got to Israel and and then eventually made it to Jerusalem to see the old city um, was the way that, that churches had been built on significant sites. Um, outside of Jerusalem is the town of Bethlehem. And if you were to go to Bethlehem today, you would see a church that's called Church of the Nativity that, that's built on the site that many people think Jesus was, was born. Now, interestingly enough, um, these sites were identified in roughly 326 by a woman named Helena. And Helena was the Emperor Constantine's mom. And she was a strong follower of Jesus. And she asked her son, would you give me permission to go to Jerusalem and and the surrounding areas to Israel to to mark significant sites, to identify them and and then to to purchase them and, and build a church on them. And so she did this. If you were to go to Bethlehem, you could see Church of the Nativity, which, by the way, is the oldest church. We think the oldest church in the world. They've been, they've been holding services there for close to 1,700 years. Can you imagine? Uh, the second church that you could go to that, where Helena identified the space and then bought the land and commissioned the building of a church is the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. This is the, uh, it's thought to be the place where Jesus was crucified and then uh, where he was buried. This is sort of a, a church within a church, sort of think of those like wooden Russian dolls, right? Um, church within a church. And uh, underneath this is the place that they think that Jesus was, was probably buried. Now, I have to admit, this was a bit of a disappointment when I first got to Israel. I would have rather seen it just like pristine, untouched. Why why do we need to to build something there? Just just leave it. And um, it sort of felt a little bit to me like uh, climbing um, Pikes Peak, which is a 14,000 foot mountain in Colorado that you can also drive up to and um, climbing Pikes Peak and then seeing somebody up there with a latte. Like that's what it, that's what it felt like to me. Like these two things shouldn't go together. But then as we went about the, the time there, one of the things that struck me was I can go to this place because it was marked because it was identified, because it was purchased, because something was built here. And I started to think about that in the the larger scope of of our lives, that that sometimes it's important to mark a a space or a moment or a time so that we can come back to it, so that we have memory of it. I, I think of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. It was really interesting to me reading through the scriptures this year again and seeing in one chapter, Abraham builds two altars. Actually, back-to-back verses, verse 7 and verse 8. One time he builds an altar to mark God's promise, saying, God, you've said you would do this, and and I'm convinced you're going to be good on your word. And another time he builds an altar to mark God's presence. God, God, you're here. You're in this place. And I don't want to forget it. 
See, marking a moment, marking a place is a way for us to say, this event, what happened here stands above the rest and I, I wanna be able to, to come back to it. And I'm struck by that truth that sort of weaves its way all throughout the human story. Um, whether it's marking a moment like a graduation, we've completed the schooling. Or retirement, completed this portion of my work life. Or a birthday, we've completed another trip around the sun. Or a job promotion, God, you were faithful and God, you came through in a unique way. When we take time to mark a moment, we, we elevate it. We, we say this, this, mo- this moment mattered. And I think that's really important because the moments have a tendency to bleed together, don't they? Like if we, if we don't mark the moment, they can, they can just sort of pass us by. I think this is the reason that at the end of every year, um, we have the Oscars. And like two of you watched that this year, but um, <laughs> where we say, uh, review the year in film. These are the films that sort of rose to the surface. It's our way to say some important things happen. Some important things are created and we wanna mark the moment so that we can go back and say, what was the most significant film in the last year? Because sometimes we need to mark a moment to make a memory. Like even if the moment was great, if we don't take time to name it, if we don't take time to celebrate it, it has a tendency to to pass us by. I I think life can, can become monotonous. The weeks and months and years can just start to to blend together. So what if there was a practice that would help us fight that monotony? What if that same practice could, could break us out of the sort of the, the monotonous hum that so much of the world lives in and, and rise us above to fight against depression, to fight against anxiety? What if, what if there was a way to drink deeply of the goodness of God so that his grace actually started to sink into our heart and soul in new and meaningful ways? What, what if? Well, guess what? There is, there is. And that's the practice, that's the sacrifice or offering that we are looking at today. If you're just joining us over the last few weeks, we've been in the book of Leviticus, backed by popular demand is what I, sort of my tagline. Um, We've been studying the, the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus. And it's really interesting because Leviticus picks up where the book of Exodus leaves off. And Exodus leaves off with a nation of Israel building a tabernacle, God coming to dwell in the tabernacle in, in, in all of his manifest glory. And then the nation of Israel unable to enter the tabernacle. Like God is close, but he's not accessible. His presence is there, but, but they can't enjoy it. And the book of Leviticus really answers the question, how do we become the kind of people that can enter God's presence and enjoy it? How do we become the kind of people that can not just appreciate his omnipresence, God is everywhere, but seek after his manifest presence, God, I wanna meet with you today. And Leviticus answers that question and the way it answers it, quite simply in one word, is by bringing an offering. An offering is a drawing near thing. It's a way that we draw near to God. And over the last few weeks, we've been saying that the five sacrifices that begin the book of Leviticus, they paint pictures that create for us a pathway of how to enter into the presence of God. They create pictures that create a pathway that teach us how to enter the presence of God. And we're gonna look at offering number three or picture number three this morning. So if you have your Bible, would you open with me to Leviticus chapter 
3. As you're turning there, let me remind you that the, the first chapter was about the burnt offering. Remember the burnt offering, the animal was completely consumed. It was a picture of offering our whole selves to God in a way that made both payment and purification. It was an atonement or a sin covering offering. Last week, we looked at the grain offering. The grain offering was a picture not of bringing a life, but of bringing the building box of our lives to say back to God, we trust you. We trust you with the stuff of our life. You were faithful at the beginning. You're gonna be faithful with the rest. And today we're looking at the peace offering, starting in Leviticus chapter three, verse one. Are you there? Listen to the way it begins. It says, if his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if, everybody say if, he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. If it's a peace offering. In the Hebrew, it's the word shalem. It's from the the root word, same root word as the word shalom. And we often translate the word shalom as peace. But I don't want you to think of shalom in, in the sense that we often think of peace, which is the absence of conflict. Shalom meant wholeness. It meant goodness. It meant well-being. It meant health in every way. When you bring a a shalom, a shalom, a peace offering. What do you do? Verse two. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. If you were wondering after last week in the grain offering, when is the blood gonna make a comeback? You just had to wait one chapter. It's back. Now, Leviticus is back to being bloody. Verse three. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering as the food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. How many of you, that's uh, more details than you needed. Yeah. Verse five, then Aaron's son shall burn it on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood, on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. A few observations. Number one, there's a lot of blood once again. Number two, number two, the blood is not intended to make atonement. You can read through all of chapter three and and really this is the beginning of it, but the rest of it follows the same pattern. The peace offering does not make atonement. doesn't make covering for any sin. And then third, they, they offer to God the sort of the innards, the guts, if you will. It's a way of them saying, God, we want to bring our, our, our whole lives, the meditation of our heart. We want, to, we want to bring it before you, oh Lord. And now there's a really interesting word at the very beginning of chapter three. It's the word if, if. Not, not when, which is the way that the last two chapters have started. It's the word if. And here's what I want you to know about the peace offering. It's the only offering of the five that is voluntary. You could go your entire life as an Israelite and never offer a peace offering and not be out of compliance with the law. The law never requires you to make a peace offering. It's completely voluntary. It's completely up to you. Now, it would be to your own detriment to not offer one, 
but it's up to you. So what's, what's going on in, in the peace offering? Here's the way I want you to look at it. Imagine a, a scenario. This, this might be hard for some of you to believe, but um, other, others of you will be able to track with me, okay? Um, imagine that you're married and that you have a fight with your spouse. Oh, we're in church. You have a disagreement with your spouse. We don't fight, right? Um, this is all hypothetical, okay? And, and you come to the place. Let's just say you're the, you're the husband like I am. Um, that you come to the place where you realize you were wrong. I know, once again, it's hard to believe, but <laughs> come to this place. And you're like, I want to make things right with my spouse. Uh, one of the things you might do is you might go and get a bouquet of flowers, which by the way, you could get for $6 at Trader Joe's, okay? <laughs> and you might bring <laughs> those flowers to your wife and you might say to her, I'm so sorry. I, I, I screwed up and I just wanna say, I'm sorry. That, that's one scenario where you might bring flowers. Here's another scenario. You might bring flowers, not because anything's gone wrong, but just because you got a great deal at Trader Joe's. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. No, no, you might bring flowers just because um, you just wanted to say, I love you. You just wanted to say, I see you. You just wanted to say, I'm grateful for you. Now, the peace offering is category number two not number one. The peace offering is not bringing a peace offering to God as a way to make peace. It's a way of saying, oh, oh, we, we have peace with God. We're living in the peace of God. One of the details that's just burrowed its way into my soul this week is in chapter, or chapter three, verse five, that it says, and you shall offer the, the peace offering on the altar on top of the burnt offering. Oh, that's so good. Because the burnt offering creates a foundation that the rest of the offerings are put on top of. Because the burnt offering makes atonement. The burnt offering says you're, you're made right with God. You're, you're living in a world where you are now spiritually made holy, righteous, and right with God because he has covered your sin. And so now, now you can come back to God in, in gratitude. Not to say, please forgive me with this offering. You say, thank you for forgiving me and for the way that I see your grace and peace all around me. See, the peace offering is about, it doesn't make peace, it marks peace. <laughs> Just like when, when Helena went and she found these sites and she built these churches on top of these sites. The churches didn't make the sites significant. They were significant so that they were marked. The peace offering is doing a very similar thing in our lives. And it's really, really good for us to bring the peace offering to God. I love the way that C.S. Lewis put it when he said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Let me say it another way. If God blesses in a unique way and we don't pause to mark the moment, we have not experienced the fullness of what God wants us to take in. We've missed a part of it. Now, my guess is that you're going, hey, Ryan, like, I, I don't think I've ever made a peace offering in the way that they're talking about. 
Um, anybody? Like, no, just to be clear, nobody has a lamb in your trunk that you're gonna bring in after this and, and ask me to sacrifice, right? Like, we haven't done that. So how do, we, how do we do this today? What does this look like in 2023? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 with me. It says, through him, through Jesus, then let us, how often? Continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. I think he's talking in terms of the peace offering. Like we're always saying back to God, God, thank you for your goodness, for your mercy. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And when we don't, when we don't bring that praise, we miss out on a, on a portion of the peace that he wants us to experience, a peace that we, that we live in. Because to experience the fullness of God's peace, we must offer our praise. It's a way that we unlock some of the good and grace that God is pouring out to us. And one of the things that I'm struck by in the peace offering is that God doesn't say, hey, wait until my shalom covers the entire globe in all of its fullness to offer peace. And then when it does, offer the peace. No, no, he says, bring a peace offering whenever. (laughs) Whenever you experience my goodness, Whenever you experience my shalom, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of pain, take time to mark the moment because there are little tiny flowers that are breaking up out of the dirt of the chaos and the pain and the hurt of life. And what the people of God have said from the beginning is those moments are worth marking. We don't wait until there's only peace to mark peace. We mark peace whenever we see it to remind ourselves that the shalom of God is breaking through even be the kind of people who express doxology even in the midst of of darkness. And I would suggest to you that it is the way that we rise above the monotony. It's the way that we fight against, one of the ways we fight against anxiety. It's the way that we drink deeply of God's grace and mercy in our life. And it's completely voluntary. <laughs> like like you, you don't have to do it. So if you're just here to figure out what rules you have to follow, you can leave. No rules. No rules in this one. This is just free will out of your heart if you want to. In light of that, I was thinking it, it would be really good, God, if you gave us some like, parameters to think within. Like when might we want to bring a peace offering? Ah, and he answers that question. Um, if you have your Bible open, just flip over a few chapters to Leviticus chapter seven. Because Leviticus three introduces the peace offering and then Leviticus seven begins to unpack it a little bit more. And Leviticus seven is gonna give some examples of times when we might wanna bring a peace offering to God. And listen to the way it begins. Uh, chapter seven, verse 11. It says, and this is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offering that one, what? May if you want to, offer to the Lord. If he offers it for thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving, he shall bring his whole offering with loaves of leavened Bread. There's a word that sticks out there. What's the word? We bring it because of what? 
Thanksgiving. Sorry, I should have made it red so that you could see it easier. But it's Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. That's why people would bring a peace offering in order to say back to God, well, God, thank you. Thank you. And I'm struck by the fact that it's often easier for me to point out what's going wrong in my life than it is to identify what's going right. Is anybody with me? It's easier for me to petition before God, God, would you move and work on my behalf in this area than it is to say, God, thank you for the way that you are at work in my life. And I'm just, I'm struck by the fact that part of becoming a person who lives in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus is becoming grateful people in any and every situation that we're in. I'm convinced of this. There is something to be thankful for in your life, even now and even when. I was convicted um, by a 17th, 18th century commentator by the name of Matthew Henry. And there was one day that he he was mugged and robbed. And he went and he wrote in his journal, listen to what he wrote after getting mugged and robbed. Here's what he said. He said, let me be thankful. First, because he's never robbed me before. I'm like, there's a way of looking at it. Like, this is the first time that happened. Second, because although he took my purse, he did not take my life. There's perspective, I'm still alive. Third, because although he took all I possessed, it was not much. Like, how good is that? He didn't get much. And fourth, and fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Oh, man. I'm just saying, if I ever get mugged and robbed, and you find my journal after I'm dead. (laughs) My guess is that the first words I write that night are not going to be, let me be thankful. What about you? Man, but that's the the kind of life that I wanna live. I wanna wanna see through the pain. I wanna see through all that's going on. I wanna have the kind of perspective that says, God, you're at work even in this moment. Because I'm I'm convinced that what Ann Voskamp wrote in her great little book, A Thousand Gifts, is right. That gratitude is at the center of the life of faith. It's it's the center point of it. Like everything flows from a heart that says, God, I'm grateful even when and even if. God, I want to give thanks back to you. The apostle Paul would agree with this. In the beginning of his letter to the church at Rome, he wrote, for his God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived. Everybody say clearly perceived. That means they're on display. That means in order to miss them, you would have to sort of bury your head in the sand that he created. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they or we are without excuse, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or say it with me, church, give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So Paul claims, hey, You just have to go outside. Like go outside when it's dark. Look up at the night sky. See the stars. See the moon. See all that's going on in our galaxy. And something inside of you will rise up and will say, God, thank you. 
God, you're, you're present. God, you're here. And he says, when we refuse to honor God or give thanks to God, that something starts to happen in our mind and something starts to happen in our heart that takes us further and further away from the God who created us, loves us, sees us, and knows us. But the opposite is true also, that when we do give thanks, when we do honor him, then our mind starts to be transformed into the image of God. We start to see him more clearly. Our heart starts to long for the things that he longs for, that gratitude really is at the center of the life of faith. And gratitude is simply awareness and acknowledgement. God, I'm aware of you and God, I will respond and acknowledge you. I'm aware I am the creature, you are the creator and God, you are abundantly good. Thank you for life. Amen. I'm aware that I am sinful and he is holy and forgiving. God, thank you for your salvation. I'm aware that this world is majestic and beautiful and glorious. God, thank you for making it that way. You didn't have to do it. I'm aware that I am loved beyond reason and there is nothing that I did to deserve it. God, thank you for your affection. Awareness, I see it. Acknowledgement, God, thank you. That is the heart of gratitude. And see, when we express our gratitude, and this is why we're called to bring a peace offering and thanksgiving, because when we express our gratitude, we experience deeper joy. When we express gratitude, we experience deeper joy. Did you know that the neuroscience that they're, they're discovering even like currently is backing up that truth? Brene Brown in one of her recent works wrote, in the research we've learned, that the most effective way to cultivate joy in our lives is to practice gratitude. The key word here is practice. It's not just about feeling grateful. It's about developing an observable practice. Awareness plus acknowledgement. And it's interesting to me that the Israelite people had a way to weave this into their rhythm of life in their community and with God from the very beginning. <laughs> we, we might even go so far as to say in light of the research that the most grateful people are also the most joyful people. I think it's the reason that the psalmist would write and would say, it is good to give what? Thanks to the Lord. Who's it good for? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. It's good for you. It's good for you to give thanks back to God. And I just know about, for me at least, it's easier to grumble. It's easier to complain. It's easier to see what's wrong or that what needs shalom than it is to see the way that God is birthing shalom even right now in my life. And so I just wanna put Paul's word to the Thessalonian church in front of you. Give thanks in how many? All, all circumstances. And what's interesting is that it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances, but give thanks in all. If you're aware enough, there are things you can find to be thankful for. So let me just hit pause. I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Would you ask the spirit of God to show you, give you something to offer thanks for. Just right now, just say, God, would you just point something out in my life that you wanna invite me to give thanks for?
How many of you sense, sense something from God? Would you just, just you can just, you don't, not out loud, but just in your heart. Would you just tell him, thank you? Just tell him, thank you. God, we're so grateful. You're so good. We want to be aware and we want to acknowledge all that you are doing. So give us eyes to see and pray. Okay, you can open your eyes. Second example. So first is, uh, well, we might want to say thank you to God. That, that's why we would offer a peace offering. Here's the second, verse 16 of Leviticus 7. But if the sacrifice of a sin offering is a what? Thou offering or a free will offering, because you don't need to bring it. It is to be eaten on the day that he offers the sacrifice and on the next day, what remains of it shall be eaten. We'll get to that in just a moment. What's the second reason that somebody might want to bring a peace offering to God? In light of, well, a vow. At the end of a vow, people would bring an offering back to God and they would say, God, thank you. Let me share with you one of the most famous peace offerings that we read about in scripture. There was a woman by the name of Hannah. And she longed to have kids and she was barren. And so she went and she prayed and she said, God, uh, I, I, I so long to be a mom. And if you bless me with a child, I vow to give them to you that they might serve you and bring you glory. And you probably know the story that Hannah does get pregnant. She has Samuel. And then after having Samuel, listen to what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. When she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. And, when, and uh, they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. So... God, I vow that if you bless me in this way, this is the way that I'm gonna respond. I'm gonna offer him back to you. And the capstone of that vow is a peace offering. Why? Well, because God has been faithful. God has heard her prayer. God's heard her honest longing before heaven. God, would you move? Would you work? Now, my guess is that there's not a lot of you that have made a vow recently, but my guess is that there are a lot of you who are praying for things. And I think the functional equivalent in our day of a vow offering is an answered prayer. And, and, and I think it demands a few things of us. If we're going to be people who, like Hannah, respond to God's answers and offer a quote-unquote peace offering, it means that we're praying for specific things, not just general, like, God, would you work in the world for the glory of your name? That's a great prayer. It's just not one that you're going to be able to mark and go, God, you answered this prayer. So, so it's specific prayers. Second, it means that we keep track of our prayers somehow. And it could... You, you, could do, you could start this right now if you wanted to. You could get out your phone and just put prayer list. Here's what I'm praying for. And maybe it's just people to come to faith in Christ. Maybe it's healing that you're longing to see. Maybe it's restoration in a relationship. I mean, you, the sky's the limit. But, but be specific and then keep track. And then it means that when God does answer prayer, how many believe God answers prayer? Me too. When God does answer prayer, that we pause and we say, thank you. I can't tell you how many times I've seen God move and work, and then I'm just on to the next ask. And, and, what, 
I think we're seeing in the peace offering is that we miss a piece of the joy if we don't pause to say, God, you answered that. God, you've come through. And I think we're missing opportunities to build up our faith because when we acknowledge answered prayer, it's implicit within us that we would start to grow in faith. So I just want to mark a few moments. I've seen as a, as a pastor, I get the chance to meet with a lot of people, talk with the people, and I get in so many ways a front row seat to both the pain of people's life and the provision in people's life. And I, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, walking with people in both of those instances is a joy. It just is. But I, I, over the last few weeks, I've seen God begin to re- restore a marriage that was almost destroyed by infidelity. I've sat and listened to a man who was sharing with me about the way that Jesus has rescued him and freed him from addiction and self-reliance. I've heard a story about the way that Jesus has freed somebody just recently from almost crippling anxiety. Um, I've seen, as you, I hope, have also the way that God's favor has just been on our church in the way that we've seen Love Esco be a blessing to so many people. I, I don't know about you, but I want to mark those moments. Like, I, don't, I don't just want to get on to the next thing. Like, let's just keep working. Keep No, let's mark the moments where we see God move, move faithfully because when we mark the moments, we preserve the memory. And when we preserve the memory, we grow in faith. That's what is happening when people mark this moment of a vow offering. So let me just ask you again, how have you seen God answer prayer? Have you seen God answer prayer? No shame, no guilt, but maybe if you haven't seen it, it's just because you're not praying specific enough. It's not because God isn't big enough. I just wanna encourage you, be specific and then see how God moves and works and then mark the moment, mark the moment. As I said, Uh, The peace offering is unique in that it's voluntary. It's the only five of the offerings that you don't have to do. The second thing that's unique about it though, is that it's an offering that benefits everybody. It's interesting as we start to read about this offering, what we see is that it shall be eaten on the day that he offers the sacrifice. And then on the next day, what remains of it shall be eaten. So these are offerings that are being not just consumed by fire, some of the parts are, the the guts, the organs are, but then other parts of it are eaten. Well, the question is, by whom? (laughs) Remember, the burnt offering, wholly consumed, given totally to God. The grain offering, partially consumed, and then given to the priests. Well, what about the peace offering? I'm so glad you asked. Deuteronomy chapter 16, starting in verse 10, you start to get a picture of what goes on with the peace offering. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God and with a tribute of a what? Free will offering. It's a peace offering. You don't have to do it. From your hand, you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. Ah, this is so good. You bring the offering in light of the blessing that you have experienced. It's not to get the blessing. It's to build on the blessing. Verse 11. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You and your son and your daughter and your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who's within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. So who gets to partake of the peace offering? 
everyone, whoever's there, sons, daughters, workers, fatherless, sojourners, like anybody that's there gets to partake, gets to celebrate. I mean, a peace offering might sound like um, a, a father who had a son who had left the family and disgraced him. But this is just hypothetical. But then he sees the son coming back and he gets so excited. God's shalom is on display. So what does he do? He says, oh my goodness. Well, well, let's go and let's bring the fattened calf and let's, let's kill it. And he might gather the whole community around. And my guess is people would ask that father, why in the world are we having such a party? What's going on? And he could say something like, this son of mine was lost and now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. And I love that the peace offering is a party. I mean, that's what it is. And I love that God weaves into the rhythm of the Israelites' year, times to celebrate and times to party. And I think so many times we get God wrong. We think of following Jesus or being a person of faith means that we're dour, it means that we're stoic. And I just wanna say to you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. We are building our lives on the foundation of shalom, peace that we have with God through Jesus. And there are pictures of his shalom breaking through in our life all the time. And the question we have to wrestle with is, do we recognize, will we mark? them and will we celebrate them? Will we celebrate them? And I think that this celebration was a form of evangelism because the host of the party is going, let me tell you why we're here. We're here because God has been faithful. We're here because God has been good. We're here because we've seen his hand of provision. The father would say, we are here because this son of mine was lost and now he's found, he was dead and now he's alive. Praise God. And see, when we, praise God, when we, when we host the celebration, we declare God's goodness. We literally say to people, come taste and see that God is good. I I love the peace offering because it paints a picture of God's people actively seeking for reasons to celebrate his goodness. And did you know that, that celebration is a spiritual discipline? I think this is one we've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to buy back in a sense. I think this is one that we have to get a lot better at, you guys. Because celebration is a way to open ourselves up more fully to receive the good Jesus is pouring out. It doesn't make Jesus pour more out. He's gracious, he's good. But when we stop and when we celebrate and when we throw a party, it opens us up to receive more fully what he is already pouring out. So let me invite you to recognize this peace and then, and then throw a party. I I think we're good at that in big moments in life, like birthdays and weddings and graduations and retirements. I think we celebrate the good moments really, really well. But I love what John Ortberg said. He said, when we celebrate, we exercise our ability to see and feel goodness in the simplest gifts of God what would it look like? Instead of waiting for a huge 
reason to celebrate. What if you just said, I just want to celebrate friendship and I'm going to have some of my best friends over and we're going to have a party just to celebrate God's goodness in our lives. What if as a, as a small group, as a life group, you took time to just, to just celebrate God's goodness in your lives? What if as an employer, if you're an employer, what if you look for ways to celebrate employees living out your, your cultural values? What, you could even create um, trophies that um, will be really meaningful, really meaningful to people. Oh, hold on. What if, what if as, I'm sorry. What if as, what if as a, an employee, you just said, God, I just want to find ways to say thank you for your provision in my life. What if as a parent, you didn't wait for the graduations? Sure, just throw the graduation party. But man, go get ice cream because it's Friday. You celebrate the little things in life. I had, a, um, I had a woman from our church body come up to me after the last service. And she said to me, Ryan, I just want you to know how significant it's been in my family's life. Um, marking marking the moments and creating a memory. She said, um, on my son's 16th birthday, I showed up at his school uh, unannounced and went to the office and told him, I need you to get my son out of school. He's got an appointment. He came down to the office, didn't know about the appointment. And his mom took him sort of spur of the moment and they went and got his driver's license over lunch um, on his 16th birthday. And she said, Ryan, that moment was so significant. She's like, it's a snapshot in my mind that I'm so grateful I have because he passed away at the age of 24. And she said, if I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have been able to mark that moment and go back to it and thank God, even in the midst of the pain and even in the midst of a life that that was lost in, in our opinion too soon. I couldn't go back and mark that moment and say thank you to God for that. So parents, let me just encourage you. The years start to just blend together, don't they? The months, they just, they just start to fly by and we can elevate moments and celebrate moments and mark moments and create memories that we can go back to. That's what the peace offering was doing. Friends, um, there's an invitation from God here that I think is just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. See, as the peace offering would remind us, the peace offering is only built on the burnt offering. And the truth of the matter is, friends, our lives are built on the burnt offering too. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God right now, not we might have peace with God someday or we will have God peace with God someday. We have peace with God right now. So the question then becomes, how do we become Shalom detectives to see the way that his peace is breaking forth in our lives? Oh, and friends, don't forget, don't forget that built on that foundation of his peace is his blessing. It's the reason that through him, we continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God through him. It's the reason that Paul would write, blessed be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ 
We've been blessed in him with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And we declare that for the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him, because he's our peace offering, through him, we utter our amen to God for his glory. Yes, Jesus is our burnt offering. He gave himself holy for us. He creates peace with God. He's our grain offering. He's the bread of life. We're invited to feast on him, but he is also the peace offering. He's blessing us right now. Every blessing comes through him. And so we get to respond back to him and say, thank you. You don't have to, but why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? See, Jesus is the foundation of our peace and he is the reason for our praise. Let me leave you with this picture. I want you to imagine Jesus shortly before he goes to the cross, eating with his disciples, but hosted by a man named Simon the leper. We're not exactly sure when during the dinner this woman broke in, but we do know that she broke in. She created quite the ruckus. And she didn't sit down at the table where everybody else was seated and eating. What she did was she took a clay jar that was full of perfume. She broke it. And then she started to pour the perfume over Jesus's head while he was eating. Like, I like to think that Jesus got Chanel in his pita, right? Like, I mean, you have to, it was an awkward moment. Let's not whitewash it. It was an awkward moment. So much so that the disciples, they look at Jesus and they go, what are you gonna do about that? They look at the woman and go, why'd you do that? They look at Jesus and they go, well, why'd you let her do that? This was such a waste. It could have been used for such better purposes. It was such a a waste. And I don't know about you, I've been reading through these sacrifices. I've been reading about these bulls that are killed, these lambs that are killed, these goats that are killed, this bread that's just burnt. And part of me goes, well, what a waste. It could have been used for something so much better. And what Jesus does is he looks at his disciples and he looks at this woman and what he says is it was worship and worship is never wasted. He says, listen, here's what she did. She did a beautiful thing for me. She made a peace offering. She didn't have to, but oh man, her her heart was so filled with the grace and mercy of God that she couldn't help herself. And it didn't feel like waste to her. It felt like worship to her. And she marked the moment. And Jesus said, oh, because she marked that moment, her story will be told whenever my story is told. So we get to come back to the way that she marked that moment with a picture of what it looks like to live a life that's full of gratitude to live a life that says, I don't know how many hundreds of people stood outside the door and thought about breaking their most expensive jar of perfume, but then thought better of it. No, I, 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 I wanna be the kind of person that says, Jesus, thank you. I, I wanna mark the moment, I don't wanna miss the moment. Anybody with me?
I wanna say back, God, thank you for the way that you've been so gracious. God, thank you for the way that you've answered prayer. God, thank you that your peace creates our party. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Jesus, would you make us those kind of people? Marked by praise. Marked with gratitude. Marked by faithfulness. My God has answered. Marked by the party. Marked by praise. Would we be those kind of people? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.